0: The Protestant Reformation was a long, bloody, difficult Reformation. It involved many theological disputes which continue to exist today between Protestants and Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox for that matter. But if you were to study the Protestant Reformation there would be no doubt that one of the most important issues you would study is what is known as the doctrine of justification. It amazes me that is I've been doing Christian ministry for quite a long time, and as I talk to Christians, Protestant Christians, about why they're not Roman Catholic, the first thing that typically comes out of their mouth is Mary. They say, why aren't you Catholic, or what's your problem with Roman Catholicism? They will typically say, well, I, you know, I, I'm a Christian, but I just don't believe in praying to Mary. Now, the prayers to the saints and prayers to Mary is a huge deal. It's, it's a significant deal, and it is something we should know about, and it is something that we should reject. But the reason I find this somewhat sad is because praying to the saints was not even close to the heart of the issues between Protestants and Christians during the time of the Reformation. It was an important issue. They debated it. They discussed it. But it was not what they considered to be the heart and soul of our difference. And what was known as the material issue of the Reformation, what was known as the heart and soul of the Protestant Reformation, the primary thing that separates us from Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox is the doctrine of justification. What we mean by that, we will discuss in the sermon in a little bit, but I I want to be very clear that justification is one of the most important doctrines of the Christian faith. I cannot stress how important this is. As a matter of fact, the Protestant Reformation had these Latin phrases which came to summarize some of their differences. And one of the most important ones they held was the Latin phrase sola fide. And sola fide is a Latin phrase for faith alone. The Protestant position, and again, if this doesn't make sense to you right now, that's okay. We're going to go throughout the rest of the book of Galatians. We're going to discuss this. But the Protestant Reformation emphasized that justification happened on the basis of your faith and nothing else but your faith the justification was sola fide it happens on faith alone And this issue this doctrine of justification and this issue of sola fide is what we are going to begin to finally break into in the book of Galatians up to this point we've been reading a lot of narrative and the book of Galatians has mainly been Paul defending and proving his apostolic ministry and, and we're still technically in that narrative, right? The text we're going to read today is still part of Paul's dialogue with Peter, but Paul is now transitioning into what we call didactic part of the letter, meaning it's a teaching portion. So he's, he's, he's doing more than simply telling stories now, but he is actually going to teach us something, and he's going to begin to teach us about the doctrine of justification, And and I would argue, I would submit to you that sola fide is essentially the thesis of the entire book. If, If you wanted to sum up the book of Galatians, it would be this, sola fide. The whole book of Galatians, the whole thing, this entire book, is about what we are going to introduce today. Justification by faith alone. That is what the entire book is about. That is what we are going to see in our text. And this will be the conversation for the rest of the book of Ephesians. Is this important doctrine of justification. So we are going to preach only two verses today. So if you would look with me at verses 15 and 16 in Galatians chapter 2. And then we will continue from there together. Galatians chapter 2 verses 15 and 16. If you would please follow along for these are the very words of God. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners... Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. So Paul is continuing his rebuke not only of Peter and the Jews with Peter, but the Judaizers in general. And one of the next things that Paul tells to Peter is he says in verse 15 that we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now, before we get into verse 16, we need to make clear what Paul is doing. Paul is not insulting the Gentiles right now. Right? I know to our ears that sounds really insulting, right? For Paul to go up and say, we're Jews and they're sinners. But I assure you, Paul, because what he's doing is he's speaking on behalf of the Jews. He himself is Jewish. And he's speaking to this Jewish community that is ostracizing the gentiles and paul is saying okay listen i'm, I'm talking to you jew to jew right he's, he's speaking as a jew to the jews and in in this phrase gentile sinners was not an insulting phrase i mean the gentiles may have taken it, in, it offensively but it was not meant to be that rather we have to understand that this was how the old testament set up the thought process about the gentiles the jews did not think they were free from sin the jews did not think they weren't sinners But they recognized that there was a huge category distinction between the justified Jewish people who were in covenant with God, who had the law of God, who were trying their hardest to pursue God, and the Gentiles who had no revelation from God, had no law from God, and were not even trying to please God. So there was a categorical distinction between the covenant members of of Judaism and the Gentile sinners who knew nothing and cared nothing for God. So what Paul is simply, and he's using, he's going to utilize this language to his benefit, but he, again, he's not being insulted, insulting or or even um, dramatic here. He's saying, okay, so we are the covenant community. We are the, the, the people that God chose for his own possession, who have the law, who love the law, who've been pursuing God, and we are not the Gentiles who were born outside of the covenant and far from God. That is, I just want to clarify, this was not, um, he, he he was not just trying to be, uh, it's offensive here. This is how the Gentiles were supposed to be thought of. They were what we call ceremonially unclean. They were outside of the covenant. They were unclean and they were seen as sinners. And so Paul speaks on behalf of the Jews saying that we are not those Gentile sinners. We are the covenant people of God. We are not those unclean outside of the covenant far from God sinners. And then this is where we get into the, the crux of the issue in verse 16. He says... Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So he introduces to us this important phrase that we began with. That's where we see our phrase, justification. This is the doctrine of justification. So what do we mean by the term justified? What does the term justification mean? Well, the Greek word that's used is a, is a term that's synonymous with righteousness. The Greek word uh, diakonos, it is either, or forgive me, that's, I, I think that's, that's deacon. That's not the right Greek word, forgive me. I, I don't know Greek, and I just made that apparent. But the Greek word that's used is, is it could be used as justified, just, or it could be used as righteous. It's the same concept. So the term it could be used, depending on its context, of a person who is a righteous person, right? Like a, a good, morally right person would be considered a just person, a justified person, a righteous person. So sometimes the word has a, what we call a personal meaning, right? If you are a just person, then that's what the word is referring to. But the word can often have what we refer to as a forensic definition, a forensic definition or a legal definition. But what do we mean by that? What does it mean for a word to have a legal definition? Well, the word justified or righteous, the word literally means to make righteous, So we're talking about the process of being made righteous. And that phrase, that word, can have a legal forensic definition. And what we mean by that when we talk about a legal forensic definition is that this is a change not of the person, but of the status of the person. It's a title change only. So when you are justified legally, forensically, God is not changing you as a person. You're still the exact same person you were, But you have a different legal standing before God. It is a forensic declaration. And that's an important word. It's a declaration. It's a sentencing. You are just. He doesn't change you. He doesn't make you new. He does do that in salvation. But not in justification. Justification is a legal forensic definition. Let me just give you some of the Old Testament examples to make this clear. You don't have to turn there. You can just hear these. In Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 1, the text reads this if there is a dispute between men and they come into court and the judges decide between them acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty. That word acquitting is the exact same word we have in the book of Galatians, justification. So when someone comes into court and they stand before judges, it is the judge's job to render a verdict, to declare this person innocent or guilty. Now notice, if a judge declares you innocent or guilty, That doesn't change the reality of life, right? If I stand before a judge and I actually did something wrong, but he declares me innocent, it it doesn't change history. I still did something wrong. It doesn't change me. But my legal standing before the law has changed. Right? That's, That's what we mean by a forensic definition. We see in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 22 to 23, Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine, and valiant men in mixing strong drink, Quit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. That word acquit, again, it's the same exact word. So justification is essentially the doctrine of acquittal. How is it, in other words, what, what we're dealing with in Galatians, is how is it that me, a sinner, stands before God and God acquits me of my sin? How is it that God renders an innocent verdict over me who is not innocent? That is the doctrine of justification. And so now you see why this doctrine is so important. This is the doctrine that separates hell from heaven. How is it that when mankind stands before a holy God, they hear, you are just? What is it that makes God justify us legally and forensically? So that is what we are going to discuss throughout the rest of the book of Galatians. This issue, important, vital issue of justification. And so let's go back to our text in Galatians chapter 2. And let's see how is it that a person is made just or declared righteous or acquitted of their sins. On what basis does God do that? He says in verse 16 that we the Jews know that a person, and so here's what we're going to do. We're going to first study two points today. The first point, how we are not justified. Paul wants to get that out of the way. How are we not justified? Well, what do you not want to put your hope in? Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. So, if you want to stand before a holy God one day, if you want to not be judged for your sin, here's what you need to abandon your self righteousness in thinking that you can earn that. That's what you have to abandon. You will not stand before God and say, Listen, Here's why you should render a guilt or an innocent verdict. Because I lived innocently. I, I, I'm not that bad of a sinner. I've done almost nothing wrong. I, and I didn't, I didn't murder anybody. I didn't steal from any banks. I mean, yeah, I, I told a few fibs here and there, but I genuinely loved people and I tried my hardest. I was a good person. So why would you condemn me? I'm a good person. Paul says that will not be the story on Judgment Day for any person. You will not stand before God and be acquitted on the basis of your goodness. You will not be justified by works of the law. And by the way, this is how we know that Paul is talking here about a forensic definition of justification. Because here's why. If we take the other potential use of the word justified, it has to be synonymous with obedience to the law. right? If if we talk about justification in the terms of I'm being a good person... How is that possibly not obeying the law? That's what it means to be a good person, is you're doing the right thing. You are obeying God's law. So if that's what Paul means, then he would be essentially saying this. We know that someone does not obey God's law by obeying God's law. It would make no sense. But what Paul is actually saying in justification is he's talking about, how am I reconciled to God? How does God render me innocent? It's, it's a forensic legal courtroom language that he's using. How do I stand before the throne room of God and the judge tells me you are innocent? And Paul says, well, here's how you won't do it based on your own obedience. All of us have fallen short. All of us have sinned. And so if we stand before God hoping that I've been a good person and he will forgive me on that basis, we are in a lot of trouble and that's putting it lightly. And what's so amazing to me about this, by the way, is it's amazing how many people in our country think this is the Christian message. I went to a secular university and I studied English. And uh, I, I took a class where we had to study medieval literature. And so there was a lot of Christian, Roman Catholic writings. And so religion was a constant topic of conversation. And it never ceased to amaze me how many people, when they think of the word Christian, at least in my classrooms, when they think of what is the Christian gospel, What is our message to the world? And so many people think that this is our message. Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. That's what they think the Christian gospel is. They think the Christian message is, be a good person and obey God or else you're going to go to hell. That's what they think the message is. And when I used to do evangelism on campus back in Colorado, and we would ask people, where are you going to go when you die? You would be amazed at how many people said, I'm going to go to heaven. Why? Because I'm a pretty good person. I'm not that bad of a guy. Why would God send me to hell? That's so intense. When I'm just, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm not perfect, but I'm good. This is what people think the gospel is. This is what they think our message is. Be a good person and God will send you to heaven. I, I listen to a sports talk show in my spare time. I, I, I think it drives my wife crazy, but it just helps get my mind off things. And and he, apparently this, this guy that I listen to, this sports talk show guy, he has a friend who thinks he's a Christian. And he brings this up on his podcast all the time. He says, I've got a buddy who's a Christian, and my buddy, he simply tells me this. Listen, I can summarize the Bible for you in two seconds. Here's the Bible. Love your neighbor, the rest is commentary. Love your neighbor, the rest is commentary. So his his Christian friend, his understanding of the Bible is basically this. Be a good person, and then all the other words are just simply there to help you learn how to be a good person. His whole understanding of the Bible was the law. Be a good person. Love your neighbor. If you want to know how to do that, read the Bible. But we have to understand what is Paul saying in Galatians 2.16? Not only is that not the message, it's the exact opposite of our message. That is that, that could not be more wrong. The Christian message is not, equivocally, it is not, be a good person and you'll go to heaven. Paul says, Nobody will get to heaven that way. The irony is, people think that's the Christian gospel, but that's actually the false gospel sending most people to hell. If that's what you think the gospel is, you're going to go to hell. The Christian message is believe in Christ Jesus because you have already failed the law. That ship, in terms of being a good person, getting to heaven, there's the Christian message. That ship has sailed, my friend. That ship has sailed. You lost that battle a long time ago. The law, as Paul says at the end of verse, look at what he says at the very end of chapter, of verse 16. Or not chapter 16, verse 16. He says this, Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Not Jew, no Jew, no Gentile, nobody. So we have to understand this. You are not made right with God because of your obedience to the law. You will not be justified based on how well you follow God's law. So the question then obviously is how are we justified then? Well, Paul tells us that right away. He says in verse 16, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So how is it that God renders a a innocent verdict over you? How is it that God forensically declares you a righteous person even though you're not? Faith in Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus, That is the means God uses to say, okay, you're with my son, he paid for your sins, you believe in him, his sacrifice is yours, your sins have been paid for, boom, hits the gavel, innocent, righteous. You stand before God, holy and innocent, by standing in Christ. That is what you want to present to God. When you stand before judgment day, your answer shall be, I don't deserve. I deserve to be judged, but I come by faith in the blood of the Son. And it is on that basis that God will declare you innocent and righteous. You are not saved by works of the law. You're not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And, And notice here what Paul does. Two important things. First and foremost, notice he doesn't add anything to faith in Christ. He doesn't say faith in Christ with this exception. Faith in Christ and also... All Paul does, all he utilizes is faith in Jesus and he says nothing else. And so that is why the reformers called this faith alone. Faith is the only thing that the Apostle Paul presents to us. And and the reason this was a big deal is because Martin Luther in his Bible translation would actually add the word alone into some of these texts. Now he shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. But the Roman Catholics would run with this and they would say, see you're adding to the Bible. The Bible never says we're justified by faith alone. All it says is that we're justified by faith, but it doesn't say we're justified by faith alone. But here's the problem, the word alone doesn't have to be there for the concept to be there. Paul tells us we're justified by faith and that sentence is alone. (laughs) There's, There's nothing else there. Paul says we're justified by only faith. He doesn't add anything else to the equation. So this is why we are adamant that Paul is clearly teaching your justification is on the basis of faith and nothing else. Sola fide, faith alone. And the reason this becomes so important is because the doctrine of justification is not just a dispute between us and Roman Catholics. It is a dispute between us and the rest of the religious world. You need to understand how unique and distinct this doctrine is. We stand alone as the only religion of all the religions of men who hold to a position of faith alone. You don't get that in Islam. Islam is not a faith alone religion. It's a faith plus works religion. You don't get faith alone in Mormonism. Mormonism is not believe on Jesus and you shall be saved. That's not Mormonism. It's faith and your works. You don't get it in Roman Catholicism. It's not faith alone, it's faith and works. You don't get it in Eastern Orthodoxy. It's not faith alone, it's faith and works. You don't get it with Jehovah's Witnesses. It's not faith alone, it's faith and works. Any religion of men outside of biblical Christianity will tell you that you have to earn a right standing with God except for the Apostle Paul. He tells you, no, no, God is too holy, you're too sinful, you can't do that. You need to find a separate route for justification. If you go by the law, you're toast. You need a different route. You need to get to God a different way. The law cannot save you. So Paul is adamant that we are saved by faith alone. We are justified, if you will, by faith alone. And this also is important because of all these religions, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Eastern Orthodox, roman how do they handle a text like this? Well, what they will say is that Paul is only dealing with what we call the ceremonial aspects of the law. And what we mean by that is, in, in the Mosaic law, we see the law sort of functionally breaking down into different aspects. There's, there's a judicial aspect, which means it was laws given for the state of Israel, civil judicial laws. We see a moral aspect, right? Love your, love your enemies and, and love God and, and, and honor the Sabbath. Right? These are moral aspects. But then we see what we call a ceremonial aspect of the law. These were laws that regulated their worship. And we saw stuff like the slaughtering of animals and worshiping in the temple and and the, the, the washing rituals, these were all religious laws and we call these ceremonial and there's no doubt that Paul is primarily addressing those issues in the book of Galatians. So far the only issue he's brought up specifically is the issue of circumcision, that's what we call part of the ceremonial religious law and later on he's going to mention Sabbaths and new moons and festivals. So the book of Galatians is sort of focused around the ceremonial laws being imposed on the Gentiles. And so people will oftentimes say something like this. Well, Paul is not telling us that works of the law altogether don't justify us. He's simply telling us that the ceremonial aspects of the law can't justify us. But other works of the law can justify us. The Christian law, the Ten Commandments, those are laws that justify you. It's just not the ceremonial ones. Those don't justify us. But here's the problem. That's not what Paul says. He doesn't say... No one shall be saved by works of the law, but by faith and the Ten Commandments. He does not say, no one will be justified by works of the law, but by faith and baptism. He does not say, no one will be justified by works of the law, but you will be justified by faith in Christ and by obedience to the New Testament laws. That's the problem. This is why we say faith alone. No matter how you try to define works of the law in this context, what you can't get out of is he gives us nothing on the other end but faith. You can define works of the law all you want. You can, you can manipulate that term all you want. But here's the point. How are we justified? By faith and what else? Nothing. Faith in Christ Jesus alone. We are not justified by works of the law. We are justified by faith in Christ Jesus alone. And so that essentially, by the way, becomes our thesis. That, I and mean, that's the heart of this message. If someone, If you walked away and said, hey, we did outdoor church today. Someone said, oh, what was the sermon about? Well, the sermon is about how we are justified before God, not by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the sermon is about. But what we have to do is this, is we have to tie this back into Paul's overall context here. Because remember, Paul is not writing with the Protestant Reformation in mind. That happened many hundreds of years later. right? We, we don't want to put this in the terms of the Reformation as much as we want to put this in the terms of first century Jew-Gentile disunity. So notice how Paul ties his doctrine of justification up into his argument. Let's finish verse 16. He goes on to essentially repeat himself. He says in verse 16 that we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So notice how Paul goes on to To go back to talking as a Jew, right? He began by saying, we ourselves, we Jews. And then he goes on to say what we read at the end of 16, that we also have believed. So how is Paul fitting this into his argument? And here's how he's fitting it into his argument. Paul is essentially saying this. If you remember from last week, Peter was living hypocritically. Peter was holding the Gentiles to a standard he doesn't even hold to himself. And so Paul is in the middle of refuting that. And here's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, how are Jews justified? Let's just, let's just clear that up. Obviously, they're in agreement. He's speaking as if the Jews already know this. How are Jews justified? Well, we know, that not the Gentile sinners, so us Jews, we know that we are justified not by works of the law, but by faith. That's what you already believe. We already agree on that, Paul says. So here's the problem. He's saying, if we, not Gentile sinners, but the, the, the covenant people of God the people who have known God, who have been trying to obey his laws for centuries, if we need to be justified by faith, what hope do the Gentiles have with works? In other words, he's saying, what sense does it make to say that, okay, the Jews are justified by faith, but we are going to legalistically hold the Gentiles up to the law in order to be saved? He's saying, that is ridiculous. If we couldn't be saved by the law, then certainly they can't. An analogy I would use is imagine that there's a person who's a cross-country runner and he's been training his whole life. He's been running since he was a kid. And his parents were professional cross-country coaches at top-level universities. He comes from a cross-country family. They run their entire life. They eat clean. They're healthy. He's been doing this for years. And he decides, I'm going to run a 5K. And he determines, and I'm going to try to run at a five-minute pace, a five-minute-per-mile pace. That's my goal, to run a 5K five minutes per mile. Now imagine our cross-country guy stands up on the line, and he's ready to go. And then another person comes in and joins. And this person is, has been lazy his entire life. He's morbidly obese. He's been eating unclean his entire life. He's, he's had a desk job. He has no exercise. But he finally decides, I want to turn my life around, and I'm going to start with a 5K. So this huge person lines up next to this very athletic cross-country runner. And the cross-country runner turns to him and says, okay, I'm going to run at a five-minute pace, that's my goal, but you better run at a four-minute pace. I'm expecting you to run at a four-minute mile pace. Now, we all know that's absurd, that's silly. Why? Well, if the guy who's been training his whole life can't even do that, then how could we expect the guy who's never even tried to run to do that? Obviously, that makes no sense. And that's the argument Paul is making. Paul saying we are Jews and we've been trying to obey God's law our entire lives. We have loved God and we've been serving him as law ever since we were babies. And even we fall short. So how on earth will the Gentile who's never had God's law, never grew up in a Christian home, never knew who God was. He only just found out who God was a year ago and you think that he's going to be justified by works of the law. If we couldn't do it, they can't do it, certainly. He's making an argument from the greater to the lesser. He's saying, if we ourselves know that we are justified not by the law, then we certainly should expect that the Gentiles will not make it according to the law. So that's his argument. I would say, and we kind of have a, a bit of a closer analogy, many of you were born and raised in a Christian faith. You, you, you had good Christian parents and you grew up believing Christianity and you grew up honoring God, and you never backslid, and you never fell away, and you've been trying your hardest to be a good Christian your whole life, and the Bible still looks at you and says, you fall woefully short. So if, if Christians who grew up their whole lives loving God, pursuing Him, still fall drastically short, how much more do people who have never loved God, who have only just come to faith at 50, how do they have any shot? Well, Paul says, here's how we all have a shot, because none of us will get there according to the law. That's how we are all made equal in the gospel. That's why God does not love the person who's been a Christian his entire life more than the new Christian. There's no favoritism. There's no hierarchy. The gospel obliterates all distinctions and it levels us all at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how good you've tried to follow God. When you come to the cross, you are shoulders to shoulders with your equals. Every single person at the foot of the cross can say the same thing. I am a wretched sinner who's been saved by faith in Jesus. It equalizes everything. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, black or white, strong or weak, healthy or unhealthy. doesn't matter if you've been a Christian your whole life or a Christian for two seconds. None of that matters when it comes to justification. When it comes to getting right before God, your ethnicity won't save you. Your works won't save you. Your money won't save you. Your family history won't save you. Your cell phone won't save you. Your academics won't save you. All of us are equalized. The only thing that can possibly make me right with God is faith in Jesus Christ. And so we see our unity in that moment. We see our unity in the gospel. And so that actually leads us. Well, I want us just to, to, to finish this. Turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 15. And then we will tie this all into communion. Turn to Acts chapter 15. This is really quite profound. Acts 15, the, Paul, the issue that Paul is dealing with here does not go away after this. This is something that the first century church deals with for a long time. And so here's something that happens in the future. More Judaizers rise up And so Paul and the apostles have this epic, what we call an ecumenical council. Which means leaders from the church get together. The Jewish leaders and the apostles get together and they debate this issue. And they hammer it out. And here is what happens. This is in the future of Galatians. Here is what happens at that council. Just read with me from Acts 15, beginning in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea. And we're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So these are Judaizers. These are people who think faith is not enough to save you. You need to do something else. Faith alone is not enough. And that's what they're teaching. Verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them in order to keep the law of Moses. Through the Gentiles. So you see this very issue rise up. And what does Peter say? Peter says this issue that we need to obey the law of Moses to be saved. This is a burden. This is a yoke that you haven't been able to do. That I haven't been able to do. And none of our forefathers have been able to do. So why are you asking the Gentiles to do it? Peter was not saved by the law. Paul was not saved by the law. Abraham was not saved by the law. And so the question for all of us today is if they couldn't do it, what makes you think you will? And that's Peter's point. God has not saved any of our forefathers by the law. He saved them by faith. And we are witnesses to you that the Gentiles have not been cleansed by their obedience to the law. They've been cleansed by their faith. And the issue was settled. That if you want to be right with God, turn to Jesus Christ. If you think your works will save you, you need to repent of that. And you need to come to Christ in faith.